Our scripture reading for this Transfiguration Sunday comes to us from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling, sparkling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And they were coming down the mountain. Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is a very interesting passage of the Word of God for us, the people of God. So if you are a lawyer, my friends who are lawyers absolutely despise the show Law and Order because it's nothing like a real-world courtroom. My friends who are doctors find Grey's Anatomy and New Amsterdam to be disconcerting because of some of the HIPAA violations in almost every episode. And as somebody who spent a lot of time in church, I can tell you I pay close attention to how ministers and Christians are portrayed in popular culture and literature. It's always interesting, no matter what your profession, to kind of see how it's portrayed in popular culture and TV and movies. And there are many sermons in popular culture and literature and movies and TV. And usually the the religious figure is not portrayed particularly well. We think of... um, any of you read or seen The Crucible and the Congregational Minister Paris, not so lovable, or the very kind of villainous Rasputin and Anastasia. Other ministers are just comic or silly in movies, like 1987, anyone ever hear of The Princess Bride? Where the, the minister, one of the most famous ministers in pop culture does a Mowage sermon, Do you know how often that movie comes up whenever I've done premarital counseling for millennial couples? We want a wedding to be anything but like that one. Then occasionally, just occasionally, there's a lesson that resonates so deeply and truly that the song or the sermon, the good word from this pop culture figure of a minister or religious figure, actually speaks some truth across generations and difference to something deeper. One of my very favorite examples of a pop culture sermon, as you might call it, which resonates for me, comes from the 1965 adaptation of Roger and Hammerstein's The Sound of Music, starring the one and only Julie Andrews, who is sort of an LGBTQ community saint, if you will. Have any of you seen or heard of The Sound of Music? (laughs) As good New Englanders, we know that they actually ended up living in Vermont, so we should, we should admire that. It is a movie set like our 
transfiguration passage today with dramatic revelations of the mountains. This classic musical opens up in the Nonberg Abbey in Salzburg, Austria, with a young nun named Maria, played by Andrews, very good, dancing through an alpine meadow, carefree and happy, high above the mountains, loudly singing, the hills are alive with the sound of music. She is devoted to God, but the life of religious cloister and rules, well, isn't working out so well for her. She is lonely. Even her dance on the mountaintop is officially verboten. This leads the nuns back in the abbey to stir and to sing a chorus which asks, How do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you catch a cloud, interesting reference for transfiguration, and pin it down? Finally, the wise mother abbess, who's sort of like the lead minister, the Vanessa Rose of that community, sings a song, which is the sermon for Maria's life. I also believe it is the true sermon of transfiguration for us today on this mountaintop Transfiguration Sunday. She sings, Climb every mountain. I won't do it. Search high and low. Follow every byway, every path you know. Climb every mountain, ford every stream. Follow every rainbow till you find your dream. And then there's a warning. A dream that will need all the love you can give every day of your life for as long as you live. In this sermon song by the Mother Abbess, Climb Every Mountain, after Maria's mountaintop experience, we are offered the metaphor of a mountaintop journey to a place of belonging and family, home, and wholeness. I don't think it's an accident that the imagery of a mountain was used by Mother Abbess to seek a representation of transformation, of change of self and setting and understanding of truth. It's the same reason that it's no coincidence that these Tiffany windows over a hundred years old are filled with mountain imagery. Mother Abbas suggests that the journey of life is to make every effort, no matter how hard. Fording a stream, by the way, is a difficult thing to do. Any of you ever forded a stream? Easy, right? Yeah. To find something, this is hard work, to find something or someone to love. For some of us on this climb of life, it might be the tough journey to self-love. And for others, it might be to a place or person of home to love. As the movie continues, as Maria finds a family, and even as that culture that she's in is in the turmoil and distrust of World War II, and people change and for better or worse, it's Maria's rootedness in this gospel of this song of the mountain, the metaphor of the climb of life offered by Mother Abbess that sustains her and guides her. This song returns one more time in the movie at the very end, right before the closing credits, as we see the family leaving for the great land of Vermont. <laughs> but during that last scene, as they're climbing out of the valley, there's the chorus of Climb Every Mountain again, as director Robert Weiss sees this as the central message 
of the film. Climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow every rainbow until you find that dream. A dream that will need, by the way, a warning. All the love that you can give every day of your life as long as you live. It is almost immediately after the transfiguration, hiking with his favorite disciples, that Jesus turns towards Jerusalem and his destiny. This passage in the middle of the Gospel of Matthew, from a structural analysis perspective of the Gospel, is the hinge point, or the turning point in direction. Literally at this point in the Gospel, they change geographic direction and head towards Jerusalem. Easter through Lent. From this point onward in the text, the road shifts toward a horizon of forever. This is the pivot point for the journey ahead. Jesus reveals his true, fabulous, sparkly self and bright nature. His invisible companions, who are probably with him all the time, are also made visible, the prophets of old. They make a little appearance, right? And here's a question. How did the disciples respond to this mountaintop moment? They are terrified. Yes, the scripture says that, but they also don't want to leave. It's a little bit confusing, right? It's a dual response to change and transformation. They find it terrifying, but also that moment of transfiguration and enlightenment is also so beautiful that they can't leave. Terror and wonder often go together in change. Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. This is really scary, but it's good that we're here. Let us make three dwellings for you. One for Moses and one for you and one for Elijah. Let's stay here a while. They're ready to set up camp. They want to stay in the scary place. They want to hold on to that transfiguration moment. There's no indication that they want to go back down the mountain. Now, there's several possibilities for this if you put yourselves in their shoes. First of all, if the world and perspective has changed this much at the top of the mountain, what on earth is going on in the rest of the world? Right? There's no cell phones. They don't know. Maybe they aren't sure what they're going to find when they go back down the mountaintop. So they'd rather build a tent city and stay up there forever. We know by the end of the passage, like with Maria's opening scene, her dance on the mountaintop, they can't just stay there in that moment of transformation. Life is never static. It moves on. And as suddenly as it started, Jesus goes back to wearing his street clothes. Remember, he's been dazzling white. I imagine sequins, personally, but whatever your image of this is fine. So, but Jesus all of a sudden goes back to jeans and a t-shirt. And the ancient prophets, too, they vanished before their eyes as quickly as they appeared. But the shift in perspective, they can't unsee what they've seen. They can never unwitness such a spectacle. We always think here, and this is so interesting, that the transfiguration refers to what happened to Jesus on the mountaintop. But this year in particular, I think it's about what happens to the disciples because of what they experience. Transfiguration isn't about the change of God. It's in the change of us when we encounter things or people that help make us see the sacred. 
The disciples are the ones who are transfigured on this day. Now, Transfiguration or Transformation Sunday is one of my favorite Sundays of the church year for the United Church of Christ because it takes us out of our comfort zone. Also, the church I served my first five years as an associate in Colorado, uh, the sen- it was the senior minister's least favorite Sunday because it was very mysterious, so I preached it five years in a row, so I know it pretty well by this point. But for the UCC, this very academic church tradition, especially now that I'm here the New England Congregational Churches, it's easy for us to deal with the passages that deal with Jesus as teacher, shaman, example, historical Jesus, the things we can study concretely. But today's passage is about going deeper with God, looking for the mystical and the magical and those question mark spaces. Today we think about the times and places that offer us a sense of the authentic relationship with a transformative God. While it can be in a church building or a visit to the ocean or a spring on a prairie or a meditation within, I understand why this biblical narrative and the sound of music and our stained glass all use the image of a mountaintop for transformation of perspective. I grew up in Colorado in the, in the shadow of Long's Peak, which is near uh, Rocky Mountain National Park, and spent summers in Grand Teton and the Black Hills of South Dakota. And the stillness and presence of those mountains resonates with me. I find that here in Connecticut also, by the way, with our much older, kind of more like mellow mountains, but deep, deep mountains of granite. During the pandemic summer of 2020, when all we really do, could do was be outside, I found the transformation at the top of Sleeping Giant or Mohawk Peak. Elevated spaces, no matter how tall, in the Bible often contain a sense of closeness to God. But after the hike, after the new perspective... Any experience of this deep closeness to the divine on the mountain, or even if it happens in our own homes, that's when the real work begins to sustain what we've learned. The disciples are not allowed to build a tent city and camp out in the liminal moment. Jesus doesn't even offer them s'mores, which I find kind of offensive. (laughs) There are no baked beans or picnics packed by Fairfield Cheese Company, Jesus doesn't want tents. Climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow every rainbow till you find your dream, and then the real work begins. A dream that will need all the love that you can possibly give every day of your life for as long as you live. This Sunday, I remember three years ago, was the first time I ever heard the word coronavirus from a member of the congregation who was more attuned to what was happening over in a town called New Rochelle. It has been now our trinity year, our three years since the beginning of that moment that would change everything, transfigure us and communities in ways we would never know, our roles in life, our sense of the sacred for better, perhaps reconnecting with someone, learning a new hobby, and for worse, the people we lost, the difficulty. 
In this three-year anniversary, we see things clearly for what they are now differently, as we, for the first time, can say we are coming down the mountain into a new reality. The strengths and weaknesses of our relationships, institutions, churches, and our own selves, right, was tested, and we saw glimpses of what the truth really is through it. So now the question is, what do we take back to this new normal with us, to this new coming off this three-year mountain adventure? How have we learned and transformed into a new normal on our way to Jerusalem with Jesus? What now will take all the love you can give every day of your life for as long as you live? Here's the point, I think, of all this today. We might have found a different point, which is great. Tell me as you're leaving during coffee hour. But We all have, no matter what, because of our profound and unexpected nature of these past three years, experienced an immense cultural, societal, and personal relational transfiguration. Three years after the pandemic started, we've been transformed into a concurrent wonder and terror of it all. Like the disciples, it contained both phenomenal views of relationships and reconnecting. I actually sometimes look at my jam-packed agenda and think, there were a couple weeks there where I actually got to pray. But also the difficulty. Transfiguration is both terror and wonder, but we can't stay in it. Mother Abbess warns us in our song, it is both beautiful and inspiring, yet it's challenging too. My takeaway from this text is that while the experience of watching their friend Jesus transform into a demigod with sequins and the ancient ghosts of prophets appearing around them was terrifying, it was also so beautiful. So beautiful that they never wanted to let it go. Terror and beauty rolled into change. These past three years have been a giant transfiguration of our lives and perspectives and congregations. So now it's time to look around us and say, this is our new status quo. This is the new reality that we get to build on. This is our congregation. These are the people. This is our love. We see things, our country, our families, our relationships, and even our own capacities and mortality, limitations, and new ways. Oh, and it was terrifying, and it was horrible, especially for us extroverts. But it was also beautiful, like the lightning on a mountaintop, beauty and terror together. Mother Abbess shares a final sermon to the young Maria before really kicking her out of the abbey. She's a good person. She's just not meant to be a nun. She's sent to live as a nanny with the Von Trapp household. And in this song, she shares a traditional biblical image, as old as time, of the mountain climb. Looking for our destiny, for truth, for God. In this pop culture musical song from Roger and Hammerstein, There is so much truth about the transfiguration as we have experienced it in the divine work in our world. 
How have you changed in these three years since those rumors about what was happening in New Rochelle and California and Washington started to circulate here in Connecticut? It was terrifying, but it also had its moments of beauty and peace. Now that we're officially kind of coming down the mountaintop and emerging into our new lives, what is emerging for you that will take all the love you can give every day of our lives as long as we live? Climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow every rainbow till you find your dream. It's a dream that will need all the love you can give every day of your life for as long as you live. Climb every mountain, ford every stream, friends. Follow every rainbow till you find your dream. And then don't ever let go. Amen.